Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. First, I want to give you a heads up that next week, my family and I are going to be on a spring break road trip, so I am not planning to do a podcast next week, so heads up on that. I also want to let you know that the podcast today is sponsored by New St. Andrews College. Today's culture shifts like sand, but New St. Andrews College is established on Christ the Immovable Rock. The college is a premier institution that forges evangelical leaders who don't fear or hate the world. Guided by God's Word, equipped with the genius of classical liberal arts and God-honoring wisdom, with a faculty dedicated to academic rigor and to God's kingdom, New St. Andrews College offers an education that frees people. To find out more, visit nsa.edu. That's nsa.edu. Thank you all again for joining I haven't been feeling well lately, and that's because it's time for my annual caffeine fast. Every year, uh, starting on Ash Wednesday, I do a 30-day cycle off of caffeine. This is not a religious fast by any means. In fact, I'm not doing it for all of Lent. It's only a 30-day fast. But I like to cycle off caffeine once a year. Why? I'm not really sure. I'm not sure that it actually has any benefits But I like to do that with both caffeine and alcohol, because if you can't take 30 days off from something, something, especially something that actually has a drug in it, then that's an indication something is wrong. So I also like to do the dry January and do cycle offs of alcohol uh, as well. And so this is just when I do it. Maybe for you, Ash Wednesday could similarly be a trigger to cycle off or take a break from things that you just want to do anyway. It doesn't have to be a religious fast. And again, you don't have to do it all of Lent. Just do it for a month or for 30 days. But Ash Wednesday is a nice trigger to remind you to do that every year. It's something that you can get into the rhythms of the calendar. Because I have found that if I don't have a routine, if I don't have a rhythm, then it's very hard for me to remember to do things. And so that's one of the things that I like to do. And I got to tell you, it's actually unpleasant for a big hardcore coffee drinker like me to not be drinking coffee and not be taking in caffeine. You know, the first day's okay. The second day, I feel like I got the flu, man. I have a terrible headache, body aches, incredible fatigue, just this malaise. I feel terrible for two days. And then the last two days over the weekend, I felt better, but still not great. And I still feel like I'm not 100%. It's like my legs are a little sore or whatever. So uh, maybe I took a little productivity hit from doing this. Maybe it's something I shouldn't have done. But it goes to show you, man, that caffeine is actually a very powerful drug. And it gives me an appreciation for people who are struggling with addictions to very serious drugs like heroin or meth or any sort of opioid type drug. Man, it's hard to not drink caffeine. And Just not drinking caffeine, although I'm not necessarily craving it, I'm not having cravings for it, the fact that I feel so bad, the physical reaction I have to it, I'm like, what must the withdrawal symptoms from these other drugs feel like? And so it gives me like a new level of of, uh, empathy for what they are experiencing because, man, it's hard enough just to go off coffee. If I were addicted to some, some terrible drug, it would be very, very difficult to quit, I'm sure. I wanted to follow up on some articles that I put in the Digest and a theme that's been recurring, not just in my newsletter, but 
in the media as well. All the elite media has been writing about it. Christian media has been writing about it. And that is the uh, so-called good men deficit. Now, they don't always phrase it that way. But what it basically is saying is there's this idea that the women, the reason women are not getting married uh, like they used to, the reason that they're delaying marriage is because they just can't find a good partner. And there is absolutely a sense in which this is true. When you look at the college enrollment today, you're looking at about 60, 40 females, something close to that. Uh, And as all these articles note, women don't want to marry down. They typically don't phrase it as women want to marry up, but they are certainly very clear that men do not, women do not want to marry down. And a woman with a college degree does not want to marry a man who does not have a college degree. And so that ratio alone creates challenges for women. Then if you layer on that Christianity, uh, it's well known that the Christian practice skews female. Now, that's actually apparently changing in younger cohorts as more and more women essentially abandon the faith. But traditionally, Christianity has essentially skewed female in practice. You're probably going to have 55, 60% of your congregation being female. And I particularly noticed that it can be a big skew among singles. So, uh, yeah, so if that also creates an imbalance in which if you are a Christian woman who wants to marry a Christian man, uh, you know, presumably someone from your own tradition, say you're Catholic, you want to marry a Catholic man, then you have to deal with the imbalances that exist there in the just the sheer number of people. So those two facts alone the difference in college degree attendance and the difference in church attendance does create a structural imbalance that is not favorable to women who want to get married. And of course, add to that the fact that many men today, just in general, uh, are not exactly uh, setting the world on fire. Now, a lot of those uh, guys who are uh, kind of uh, the failures to launch. They didn't go to college. They didn't finish college. So there, a lot of them are captured under declining college degree stats, uh, but, you know, not not entirely. And again, nobody ever wants to look at the other side of that. There are a lot of women today who are basically unmarriageable because they too have gotten involved in drugs. Just to bring it back to drugs, are many of the other issues that people like to talk about men doing. The opioid epidemic is not just a male epidemic. Many women are addicted to opioids as well. So there are a lot of women who have things that don't make them such a great catch. So I'm not going to say that the problem is all just men who are not don't have it together. But at the end of the day, when you look at it, especially just in terms of college degree attendance and religious attendance for, uh, you know, Christian women who want to marry a Christian man, you know, there is an imbalance. And certainly they are feeling that in the marketplace. And so what is the implication of that? And this is what I want to talk about for the guys. What are the implications of that for you? One, if you are a Christian man, especially one who went to college and has your act together, you are basically a hot commodity. You are uh, a rare person in the market. So as we see, these women want a college degreed man who has it together, who's a Christian, and there's far more of them than there are of you. When you look at it in terms of supply and demand, that means actually the guys who fall into that category have a very good market value, so to speak. You really are like that rare diamond that they are looking for in a lot of ways because, in a sense, there aren't necessarily as many of them to go around. And 
Of course, guys are never encouraged to think of themselves this way. Guys are essentially encouraged their entire life to think of themselves in exactly the opposite sense, that, wow, I would be lucky if any woman deigned to pay attention to me. And so they tend to in- internalize this idea that they are essentially supplicants to women, that they're basically would be lucky if any woman paid attention to them. And so they've cultivated the mindset of kind of being low value when in fact they actually, a lot of them have very high value. And so if, you know, if you are a guy who is single and a man and you are a Christian, especially to say, hey, to the extent that I am doing what I need to do, I actually am, you know, kind of a rare product and I need to start behaving and internalizing the mindset of that. Now, there are guys who, of course, don't fall into that category. Uh, some of them, for their own reasons of their own, others, the things just can't do anything about. So if you are a guy who's five foot four, you're going to find your dating prospects are going to be challenging because women definitely do not like men that are shorter than them. That's just well-established. They want to marry a man who's at least as tall, if not taller than them. And, you know, what? shorter guys suffer a huge penalty in the dating market. Like many things in the world, that's unfair, but that's also reality. And I'm sure if you're one of those guys, uh, you're, you know, you're aware of that. You know that. And so that's something you can't do anything about. Um, that is, you know, something that you uh, just have that you can't do anything about. But there are things that you can do things about. You can control your attractiveness in terms of, yeah, I'm going to try to be in shape. I'm going to try to be a little more stylish. I'm going to try to be well-groomed. I'm going to get that college degree. I'm going to be going to church and uh, taking care of my life. Oh, I'm not going to be using porn. If you're ladle on that, you don't use porn. Wow, now you're even getting rarer. So if you take care of the things that you can take care of, like getting your, you know, your career in, sh- in shape, maybe your education. You know, I don't want to put too much stock in, in education, but, you know, today, realistically, the college degree still does have a lot of cachet in the market. I hate to say it. I'd like to change that, but it still does. But getting your education squared away, getting your career squared away, getting your face squared away, being in shape, not using porn, you just get those things, basics right. Frankly, you really are a high value product and probably don't know it. And if you don't internalize that mindset, you're going to uh, cause yourself some problems. First, you might just, you know, marry the first person that comes along who uh, pays attention to you because you think, wow, I'm so lucky for this. Wow, this is amazing, which, you know, maybe it could be, but also maybe you end up with the wrong person or somebody who's not ideal for you because, you know, you were not as selective as you should have been because you were just thinking you, you know, wow, I'm lucky to have anybody pay attention to me. That's number one. Number two is that thinking of yourself in a different way changes the way other people think about you. If you conduct yourself in a manner that suggests, man, I'm just just no good. Uh, I'm lucky if any of these incredible women would pay any attention to me. Well, they're going to see that. And what is that saying? That's saying that you're low status, you're below them. And that's unattractive. But where when you start acting more confidently, all of a sudden people say, hey, wait a minute. Maybe this guy has something that had to be confident about. And so this is, you know, this is again, no mystery here. I don't think this is anything, you know, rocket science. 
but you know, it can have an impact. So when you start saying, hey, I actually am a high quality product and I think when you look at the market, people should, there is a shortage of people like me, then yeah, I actually have you know, people I should be desire. I have a desirable product and I need to conduct myself in that manner, not in an arrogant manner necessarily, but you know, in a manner that says he recognizes the actual truth about you. And by the way, we can see how a change in attitude affects it, you know, any, anywhere. There's so much of this that's written in the highest of high culture, like opera. One of the great operas that I love is The Elixir of Love by Donizetti. And I'm not going to give you a, uh, a synopsis of it, but one of the core attributes of this opera is this guy who's trying to woo this woman who's sort of above him, and he can't do it, and yet he's able to generate interest in her when he accidentally finds a way to believe that he's attractive. He believes, uh, he actually takes a love potion that uh, the snake oil salesman convinces him will render him irresistible to his woman, so he starts acting like he's irresistible, and the next thing you know, she's like, wow, I'm kind of attracted to this. It's a comedy, of course, very funny. And the beautiful thing is it has a happy ending. And you could learn a lot about intersexual dynamics just by looking at art. Again, the best art that's ever been done. Uh, there are so many operas, ballets even, that just have all these sort of timeless themes in them. And it's only once you get into sort of the post-feminist era that we tried to deny these things that people have. So how you carry yourself tells people, this is true not just in relationships, this is true in business, this is true in everything. If you are conducting yourself as if you are lower status, lower skills, not as good as you are in any domain, people are going to discount what you can bring to the table. They're like, maybe this guy isn't this great, super sophisticated programmer or salesman or whatever you are because of the way you're sort of acting, when in fact, maybe you actually are really, really good. And if you just you know, kind of acted in a manner consistent with how good you are, people might say, hey, they would be more likely to recognize your goodness. So that's something that can carry on into, into anything. But I think a lot of guys, you know, we see all these things, and all of the focus, of course, is on the women and the implications for women, which does, I think, realistically, make it harder for them to get married. I do not think by any means, because men have it tough today, that it's somehow that women have it great. Women also have it tough. There's a lot of negative things in our society uh, affecting women. And, you know, I don't envy, uh, you know, the things that they're experiencing uh, in a lot of ways. Our society is bad to a great extent for both men and women. But a lot of people talk about the negatives for women. It's like, oh, I can't find a guy to marry because there just don't seem to be the guys out there. And again, you know, a lot of guys will say, well, you know, she's, you know, batting out of her league, her expectations are too high. And I'm sure that that's the case in some cases. But it's also the case that when you start looking at these ratios around objective measures like college degree attainment, church attendance, there is an objective imbalance. And so there, there is a sense in which that's a reality in the day. Nevertheless, nobody thinks about the implication for men. And one of the implications is if you are a guy who is taking care of business, you know, not watching porn, going again, getting your job in order, doing the things you're supposed to do in life, you are a hot commodity. That's just a simple implication. That's the flip side of this nobody wants to talk about. And so you should recognize that and think about that. Not treating that as a license to get cocky, uh, but it, it really does, I think, change 
how we approach the world, how we think about the world, and how we think about relationships. And again, this is something that applies far beyond relationships. It could apply to jobs. It could apply to many other things. When I was uh, starting off writing about cities, I'd left Accenture. I was writing a blog. I always used to just sell people, sell myself short when I talked to people. You say, well, what are you, Aaron? What do you do? Well, you know, I'm just a blogger. It's not like I'm a senior fellow at the Brookings Institution or anything like that. And, you know, I really sort of just told people I was like a, a nobody. And, well, maybe that's how they looked at me. And now I got to look like, hey, you know what? Actually, I have some things to say. I actually have accomplishments in multiple fields. And, yeah, my analysis is pretty good on a lot of the stuff. Not that I'm flawless, but... I don't want to sell myself short anymore because all that means is people are not going to listen to what I have to say, even when it's true. So this is a this is something about the mentality shift of actually having a correct diagnosis or correct assessment of your own self and then using that for various things, one being to make improvements where you need to improve, but also to say, to calibrate how you conduct yourself and the kind of expectations that you have based on what you bring to the table. So that's something to have, something to think about if you're a guy uh, and, and uh, you'll have a couple weeks to uh, think about it because uh, maybe put it into practice because as I said, we are going to be on spring break next week. Uh, I hope you guys are having a, you know, a good winter so far. Uh, we're taking an early spring break as you can see uh, and we'll enjoy whatever spring break activities you have coming up as well in March or April. Until then, bye-bye.